Chapter Ten of the Smoke Eaters by Harvey J. O'Higgins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Not for publication. Captain Meaghan had wakened in his own flat, a gentleman of leisure, with a record to be proud of, and a pension to support the pride. But he had wakened to the monotony of a life that was to be an unending holiday henceforth, and he rose in a bad mood. The silver loving cup, presented to him on the previous evening by Battalion Chief Tighe, on behalf of the men of Hook and Ladder Company No. 0, sat on the oilcloth of the dining-room table while he ate his breakfast. The illuminated address, which assured him that the fire department lost in him a man of sterling worth, stood on the mantelpiece before him. A reporter, looking for a special for his Sunday paper, came to ask for an interview with him before the table was cleared. But none of these evidences of honour eased his frown of surly discontent. "'Long?' he growled to the reporter's first question about his length of service. "'It don't seem long to me. Thirty-five years ain't long. Besides, I'll bet I'm's limber as any man half my age.' The reporter replied jocularly that he would not take the bet, for the captain's eye was keen under his grey eyebrows. And though his hand was withered, it did not shake with any weakness of old age, and he had a back as straight and a shoulder as broad as the youngest driver in the service. It was evident, however, that the captain's temper had not similarly preserved its youth. The reporter decided that the old horse was sulking, because he had been turned out to pasture, and he began to coax him artfully into speech with questions about the nature of back-drafts, the proper methods of fire-fighting, the use of modern apparatus, and the escapades of old volunteer days. Meaghan chafed and squirmed, correcting the mistakes of affected ignorance, with a contempt that was gradually mollified by the diligence with which the reporter made his pretense of taking copious notes. "'Jump,' he replied to a question about the use of life-nets. "'Jump nothing. No fireman ever jumps into a life-net. He falls. He drops. And when he hits it, he's sittin' down. Mary there could tell you about jumpin'. She knows how to do it.' The reporter looked around, to see a slim young woman standing in the kitchen doorway, with her hand on the knob, listening to the conversation. She gave a little gasp of confusion, and shut the door on her blushes. "'How does she know?' he smiled. "'Cause she done it,' Meaghan said. "'She dropped out of the fourth-story window of the Adiron Flats, as plumb as an apple off a tree. And she followed directions when she did it and that's what saved her life." The reporter frowned quizzically. "'The Adiron Flats? She's your daughter, isn't she?' "'No, sir,' Meaghan said. "'She's not my daughter, and I don't know whose daughter she is.' The newspaper man laughed in a way that was intended to be ingratiating. "'I give it up,' he said, as if it were a conundrum. Meaghan looked out of the window at the rusty fire-escapes across the court. He had an expression of mingled hesitation and distaste. "'Suppose I got it into the newspapers again,' he said at last. "'It might find some of her folks.' "'Sure to,' the reporter said, with ready conviction. Meaghan looked worried. He glanced around at the closed door. 
she's a thoroughbred or i'm no judge o breedin she's too good for this stable yes the captain glanced at him and swallowed i suppose you'll make a damned picture spiel of it he said wrathfully and make a fool o me the reporter laughed oh i don't know i do meaghan growled he fell back on a thoughtful silence again it might make trouble between her and gallagher he muttered and then again it mightn't she's got things comin to her i guess or ought to she's got a right to know who her folks are anyway the reporter was discreet enough to say nothing meaghan turned on him well i suppose i got to do it do you know when the adiron was burned no not precisely huh it was the twenty-second of january eighteen years ago about two o'clock in the mornin the reporter drew his chair up to the table the captain relit his cigar we were slow gettin' there the streets were hub-deep in snow besides the box had been rung in late and anyway the old adiron was a fire-trap a regular house of cards she went up in a puff he puckered his eyes reflectively the windows were full o people yellin and jumpin some of em i thought at first it was bundles of beddin they were throwin out till i heard one hit the sidewalk blaze must have been comin up the light well in the elevator shaft they'd been cut off from the fire escapes at the back and all crowded to the front windows when they woke up what did wake up it kept us busy with the ladders pickin them off and gettin them down some places we had to break in the windows and carry them out a lot of them must have been suffocated in bed i don't remember how many we saved about thirty all told well he puffed up a cloud of smoke and eyed it i was haulin up a scalin ladder in the third-story window when the glass blew out of the window up over me the window i was headin for i sized that up as local an open door somewhere and reached the ladder over to the sill next to the right and went up and lifted an old dame out o there and passed her down to rooney but it was gettin so thick i couldn't stand it long enough to get into the back rooms and i had to crawfish i was sittin on the sill tryin to get wind between the puffs o smoke from down below when the whole damned room went off like you'd put a match to the oven of a gas-stove and i dropped down the ladder and hung there with my eyebrows scorched off me and as blind as a bat for the time bein well that's where i was when i heard a youngster screamin somewheres and got the water out o my eyes to see a little girl hangin over the sill o the window right up over the one i dropped out o i got the smoke out o my pipes as soon as i could and braced my feet against the wall and sang out hi hi there sissy see me here and she piped up yes like a trump well i says get out on that window-sill and turn over and drop down here come along now and she says all right sir and she did it just sat out on the sill and turned over on her face and let herself slide and dropped twelve feet on to me with a little grunt when i grabbed her she didn't weigh no more than a wet cat anyway mebby she didn't understand where she was thought i was standin on the ground or something but it was thoroughbred all right you just try askin people to jump like that 
Try asking a drowning man to turn over and dive. The reporter waited. How did you get down with her? Down with her? Oh, I went down to the foot of the ladder, and the boys brought up a life-net, and I dropped in it with her. She'd fainted, or been jarred bad, or something, so I handed her over to an ambulance doctor, and they took her to the hospital. Yes? The captain nodded. Yep, and that was the queer part about it. Next day there was a lot in the papers about her. Seems her parents hadn't got out, and nobody that had didn't seem to know who she was, or where her folks were, or where she'd come from. A man by the name of Dillon rented that flat, so the superintendent said, but who Dillon was he didn't know. Come from out of town, he said. Chicago, he thought. They'd just moved in, and there wasn't anything but burnt bricks left to identify them by. And the papers said she didn't know her own name, and was generally half-witted altogether. That was funny, the reporter put in. Funny! It looked so much like a lie it made me that darn mad I went right up to the ward to see her. And I'll be everlastingly scorched if she knew me, or remembered jumping, or remembered anything. She might as well been born that same morning for all she remembered about what had happened before. Yes, sir. Doctor said the thing had gone to her head, hurt her brain, and it had, and it hadn't. When I took her, cause no one else wanted her, and me and the old woman hadn't none of our own, and sent her to school, she learned like a prize-winner. There was nothing wrong with her head that way, but she never learned what she'd forgotten and that was all she'd ever knowed before that fire. Queer, the reporter said. Queer as hell, the captain agreed. The doctor told me not to bother her about it, and I haven't neither. But whenever I've got the chance, I've tried to hunt up her folk, make a run up to Chicago, and looked up a half a dozen Dillons without letting her know, and things like that. After a while we settled down together, and since the old woman died, I ain't mentioned it to anyone. But she's got things coming to her somewheres. The Adiron was a swell flat house. They must have had the price to live there. The reporter looked up from his paper to ask, Can you let me have her photo? Yes, sir, I can, Megan said. Mary, Mary, he called in the voice of a company foreman. She opened the door. Bring me that last picture of yours. There was a silence. The reporter did not look around. She asked huskily, What for? The captain ran an impatient hand through his hair. Well, I got the time now, he said, and I want to have another try at finding out what I couldn't find out before. You ought to know who your people are. There may be things coming to you. I don't want them, she cut in. You don't know but what your relations... I haven't any. They didn't want me, and I don't want them. Are you tired of me? she cried. The reporter coolly noted the color of her hair, her level eyebrows, her clear gray eyes. The captain got up from his chair. Mary, he said gruffly. Well, she protested, I don't want to go away. I don't want to go away to strangers. And I won't. I just won't she cried defiantly. He frowned. Aw, Daddy, she said, putting her arms about him. What's the use? Aren't we just all right enough? Aren't we just happy now that you're home all the time and everything comfy? 
the reporter settled back and watched as if he were in an orchestra chair at a stage tragedy the girl's face reminded him of ellen terry's and it was as mobile as an actress's changing with every change of her voice the captain took her by the arm and held her off from him don't you think gallagher's got a right to know who he's marryin'? she flushed up indignantly at once if i'm not good enough for captain gallagher as i am why he can do without me but why why the captain argued what's the matter with findin out it ain't going to do you any harm is it well she said it might make a difference and if things were different they might be different she smiled ruefully at her own inconsequence and i don't want them to be different what's the matter with them being better they couldn't be she laughed he patted her on the shoulder run away and get the picture now that's a good girl we're going to put it in the papers her face went tragic at once yes she cried you'll put it in the papers and some ugly old woman that i never saw before she'll come and take me away in a carriage to to i don't know where and if they give me money and and dresses ned'll be afraid of me and you'll be ashamed to come and see me and and i don't know what all she blinked tearfully i know you were thinking about it from what you said last night and it kept me awake worrying until it gave me a headache and i wasn't to be worried about it she sobbed i i feel as if i'd just go crazy about it she put her hand up to her head he caught her by the elbow mary mary don't go on like that it's all right it's all right no one can take you away if you don't want to go can't they she cried fiercely drawing away from him i know i dreamed about it last night they took me they had a lawyer there was a sound of a passing carriage in the street listen she whispered her hand shaking at her mouth that was it listen meaghan uttered an oath of alarm and pressed her face against his shoulder that'll do he said hoarsely we won't put it in the papers we don't want the photo we won't let you go away here he turned to reach out a hand for the reporter's notes gimme those here you can tear up what we were goin to print he thrust the sheets into her hand and shut her stiffened fingers on them shh girl he hushed her patting her on the shoulder all right now i'll never say another word about it her shaking and sobbing subsided gradually when she looked up from his shoulder at last she was trying to smile through her tears that's the way he encouraged her stroking her hair she kissed him prettily better now he asked and she nodded she winked at the sheets of shorthand aren't they funny she laughed in a voice that was still trembling she turned to the reporter with an uncertain smile i'm sorry she apologized to to oh that's all right he said taking up his hat too bad to have worried you she looked from him to the notes and back again and you you won't say anything about it certainly not he promised i'll consider it strictly not for publication thank you she said deeply and went over to him with the sheets he took them from her and tore them up 
reddening slightly at the frank kindliness of the look with which she met him. "'It was so much work, too,' she said meaningly, "'to—to to get it.' He laughed. "'Oh, I'm used to that.' She embarrassed him with the smiling interest of her gaze. He looked down at the hat in his hands. "'I'm afraid I'll have to—to to hurry away.' "'Good-bye,' she said, "'and thank you.' She held out her hand to meet his with a firm clasp of good-nature. He stammered, "'Con—congratulate Captain Gallagher for me. I know you'll be happy.' She beamed her assurance of that. "'And so will Daddy. Good-bye.' She smiled him out. "'Won't you, Daddy? Eh, Daddy?' she cried gaily, and threw her arms about his neck. "'I suppose,' he said, with a pretense of surliness. I'm not fit for anything but to play grandpa. I'll spend the rest of my life sittin' in the park with a baby carriage." She clapped her hand over his grey moustache, and screamed, "'Daddy!' End of chapter 10 End of The Smoke Eaters by Harvey J. O'Higgins Recording by Lee Smalley